Today on Living in the Word with Dr. Gary Yates. God's not finished with the house of David. The book ends with all of this failure and disobedience and exile and captivity. But in the midst of this, there's a small, tiny sort of glimmer of hope. I'm Gary Yates, the pastor of Living Word Baptist Church in Forest, Virginia. Thanks for joining us again as we continue our study of the biblical covenants. And in this presentation, we're continuing our focus on the Davidic covenant and how that ultimately leads us to Jesus as the promised Messiah. What we are looking at in this presentation is the working out of the Davidic covenant in Old Testament history. Remember last week, we looked at the beginning of this covenant in 2 Samuel 7. That's our key text for the Davidic covenant. And that, that passage reminds us that there is both a promise and an obligation involved in this covenant. The promise is that David's sons and David's kingdom will be established forever, and that's a, a lasting permanent promise. But the condition and the obligation was is that every Davidic king uh, would ultimately either be blessed or punished based on their obedience to the law of God. What I want us to look at here is, is just to see that even when these kings disobey God in some significant ways, and, and even when we come to a place where ultimately, uh, you know, several hundred years after the time of David, God brings the Davidic kingdom to an end, even that serious sin and disobedience on the part of the Davidic kings does not bring an end to the Davidic covenant promises. So I'd like us to look at just some of the, the significant places where if we were looking at this from a human perspective, we would say, well, this, this probably brings the covenant to an end. And, and we almost see that even at the beginning. What about David's sin in the Bathsheba incident? Are, are the sins of uh, adultery and murder that David committed there severe enough to cancel out the covenant? God had promised that he would give David a son to sit on the throne after him. But in this particular instance, David's sin results in the death of his son that was born to, to Bathsheba, and two more of David's sons would later die as a consequence for his sin. So it seems to put the promise of a son in jeopardy, but God still, even after all of this, provides Solomon as the son who would succeed David as king. And the interesting thing to me that especially shows the grace of God is that, in all, is that Solomon is actually a son of Bathsheba, after the time that David takes her as his wife. So even this sin that David committed at the very beginning of the covenant doesn't cancel out what God has promised. Uh, that brings us to Solomon as the next king in the line. Can the covenant survive when Solomon turns away from the Lord and follows other gods? He commits apostasy and idolatry at the end of his life. Deuteronomy 17 said that the three things that a king in Israel was not supposed to do was to accumulate gold and wives and horses. And the story of Solomon says that he specifically violated those three things that a king was not supposed to do. But again, in spite of Solomon's unfaithfulness, the covenant continued and carried on. Now, in light of the, the conditional aspect of the covenant, God would bless or punish based on obedience, 
1 Kings 11 says that God punished Solomon by taking away the majority of his kingdom. The 10 northern tribes broke away from the house of David and became the northern kingdom of Israel. But even then, God still left a smaller kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, that remained loyal to the house of David. And, and we read this promise from God in 1 Kings eleven thirty six. Even in the midst of judgment, God stays faithful. The Lord says, I will give one tribe so that David, my servant, will always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem. God left a lamp for David. And that flickering lamp means that the covenant promise remains intact. 1 Kings 15.4, 2 Kings 8.19 actually say the same thing. God left a lamp for David. And again, it's definitely flickering and looks like it might go out at times, but God remains faithful to the the covenant. Even though the majority of the Davidic kings uh, who reigned in Judah, they, they were not good and godly kings. They did not follow the Lord. They did not obey him. God still remembered his covenant to David, and he left that lamp burning in fulfillment of his covenant promises. Now, the best example of godly kings were the kings Hezekiah and Josiah. 2 Kings 18 says that there was no king who trusted the Lord in the way that Hezekiah did. He was known for his faith. 2 Kings 22 and 23 tell us that there was no king like Josiah in terms of his obedience to the law of God. He didn't turn to the left or to the right, but for the most part, the majority of the kings did not follow the Lord, and even the good kings like Hezekiah and Josiah had their flaws and failures. So I want us to think about, just look at the ways that God left a lamp for David, even in some times of serious sin and disobedience. God left a lamp for David, even when King Jehoshaphat, who was a good king overall, made a really foolish mistake. He made a marriage alliance with King Ahab, the most wicked king in the history of Israel. Remember, he was married to King Jezebel. And and Jehoshaphat, for political reasons, enters into a marriage alliance with his family. Jehoshaphat's son married the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. Her name was Athaliah, and eventually Athaliah, after the death of her husband and son, actually seized the throne in Judah. She became the ruler of Judah, and she tried to destroy the royal line in David, of of David by killing all of her grandsons, like all of the potential heirs and, and, and rivals to the throne. She killed them off, and only one royal grandson was hidden away from her rampage. And that's how God preserved the royal line of David. God kept his promise. God kept the covenant. The lamp is still burning. God kept a lamp for David even later, When King Ahaz refused to trust the Lord in a time of military invasion, when this king offered his son as a sacrifice to the false gods, uh, imagine a Davidic king doing that, and even closed down the temple for worship during a part of his reign. Pretty evil king. God leaves a lamp for the house of David. God left a lamp for David even when King Manasseh reigns for 55 years, longest reign of any king in the Davidic line, as the worst, most ungodly king that Judah ever had. And 2 Kings 21 says that Manasseh was even worse than the kings who reigned in the land before Israel ever got there. He again offered his son as a sacrifice and did more evil 
uh, promoted idolatry, wickedness, violence, bloodshed than any king before him. God says, because of him, I'm going to wipe Jerusalem like a dish. But God still left a lamp. Now, as we get to the end of the Davidic line and the last few kings, we see that the last four kings, and these are the kings that reign after Josiah, all four of these kings, the end of the line, they all do what is evil in the eyes of the Lord. That's the assessment of kings. And for God, that was the last straw. Uh, God's patience had finally been exhausted. And so what ends up happening, the last two kings in the Davidic line were taken away into exile. Now, it's important to remember their names. Jehoiachin was the first of the kings taken to exile uh, by by Nebuchadnezzar, and, and he was taken to Babylon in 597 B.C., and his, his uncle Zedekiah was put on the throne, but then Zedekiah was also taken away when he rebelled against the Babylonians, and the Babylonians captured Jerusalem in 586. So last two Davidic kings, Jehoiachin sent into exile. 11 years later, Zedekiah sent into exile. And, and when they captured Jerusalem in 586, the Babylonians executed Zedekiah's two sons, And then they took an iron tool and gouged out uh, Zedekiah's eyes because he had been a rebel against them. The last thing that he saw was the death of his sons, and he lived as a prisoner in Babylon for the rest of his life. So a fairly unimpressive end to the Davidic dynasty. The kingdom of Judah had come to an end. The temple had been burned to the ground. There was no more Davidic king on the throne. How could the Davidic covenant survive in light of all of that. And last in our last presentation, we looked at Psalm 89, and Psalm 89 reflects on this problem and how it appears that God has terminated. He's ended this covenant. God had said it will last forever, but it looks like the covenant is over. And so the psalmist says in Psalm 89, 38, now you have cast off and rejected. You are full of wrath against your anointed one. You have renounced the covenant with your servant. You have defiled his crown in the dust. You have breached all of his walls, and you have laid his strongholds in ruins. What's going to happen to the Davidic covenant now that the Davidic covenant has been, or the Davidic king has been defeated by his enemies? Verse 44, you have made his splendor to cease. You have cast his throne to the ground. You have cut short the days of his youth. You have covered him with shame." So the, the, the writer, the psalmist here is struggling, like, how has, how has God just forgotten about his covenant promises? And so I'd like to finish this presentation by showing us three reminders that God has not forgotten the covenant. God is still leaving a lamp for David, and God's covenant with David has not ended. In spite of the, the end of the Davidic kingdom, the covenant is still intact. If you take your Bible and turn to 2 Kings 25, at, at the end of Kings, uh, the Jews are still in Babylon. They're still in captivity. And remember that King Jehoiachin was the king that was taken away into captivity in 597 BC. He was the first of those kings. He was only 18 years old. He'd only been on the throne for three months. But the last recorded event in 2 Kings, 2 Kings 25, 27 to 30, is that this king, Jehoiachin, was finally released from prison 
after 37 years. And he was treated well by the king of Babylon. He was allowed to eat at the king's table in Babylon. While this, you know, it doesn't sound like much, but there's one very small reminder at the end of Kings that God's not finished with the house of David. The book ends with all of this failure and disobedience and exile and captivity. But in the midst of this, there's a small, tiny, just sort of glimmer of hope. Now, it certainly also sounds like God is finished with the house of David when we read what it says about this same king. And again, this is Jehoiachin, taken away 597, in Jeremiah chapter 22, verses 24 and 25. So this is about that same king that was taken away. And in that passage, the Lord says to him, Jehoiachin, even if you have been, as, as a Davidic king, Even if you and the kings before you have been the signet ring on my right hand, you have represented me in the same way that a signet ring was used to stamp a document or a letter. The Davidic kings have represented the name, power, and authority of the Lord. But in Jeremiah 22, the Lord says, I'm taking that signet ring off of my hand. Jehoiachin, I'm ripping you away from my finger, and I'm throwing you into the land of captivity. And and when we read that, it sounds like the covenant is over. The sons of David have been my representatives, but no more. I'm finished. I'm done with them. I'm throwing you away. But notice what happens more than 70 years later. Okay, Jeremiah 22, 70 years later, if we fast forward, The Jews have returned from exile. They're back in the land. And Jehoiachin's grandson, again, the same king, his grandson is now the governor of Judah under the Persians. We have this post-exilic prophet by the name of Haggai. And Haggai makes a prophecy about Zerubbabel, a, a member of the house of David. And Haggai says, I will make you like a signet ring because I have chosen you. The Lord says, I'm going to take that ring that I threw away and I'm I'm putting it back on my hand. I threw Jehoiachin away. For a little while, I terminated that relationship that I had with with the house of David. But now with his grandson, I'm reversing that curse. I'm reversing that word of judgment from Jeremiah 22. I'm restoring my relationship with the house of David. And one day, the Lord will shake the nations and will send an even greater son of David when the Messiah comes. That's who that passage is ultimately about. Zerubbabel is just a picture of God's continuing faithfulness to the house of David. Messiah is coming. The covenant is still in place. And, and, And God's promise has not been terminated. The last place where we see that the Lord is still keeping his promises to the house of David is when we move to the New Testament and the opening section of the Gospel of Matthew in Matthew chapter 1. And remember, like when Matthew starts the story of Jesus, he begins with a genealogy. Most of us do not think of genealogies as our favorite parts of Scripture. It's not you know, where we have our devotions in. But this genealogy tells a really powerful story, and it reminds us that the story of David continues. 
Jesus's genealogy is the story of Israel from Abraham to the birth of Jesus. And, and, and really, so it's, it's, it's surveying the entire Old Testament in a very condensed, fast-forward kind of way. And in this genealogy, there are 14 generations from Abraham to David. There are 14 generations from David to the Babylonian exile. And there are 14 generations from the exile to Jesus. So 14, 14, 14. If you take the name David and add up the numerical value of the consonants in his name, it comes to 14. And so 14, 14, and 14 is a way of saying this genealogy is about David. And after all of the failures, after the king has been removed from the throne, after the time of the exile, the end of the kingdom, 600 years of no Davidic king and a time of darkness where we're not sure what's really going to happen in the future, a son of David is finally born who will fulfill the covenant promises that God made to David. Matthew begins with that genealogy because that's what he wants us to see. The kingdom of David will last forever, and Jesus is the one who inherits that throne and who will reign forever as the son of God and son of David. You know, when I see the story of the working out of the Davidic covenant, it's a great story in terms of reminding us of how God keeps his promises. God is faithful to his covenant in spite of human failure, in spite of human failure, in spite of our unfaithfulness. I'm thankful that that's true in the history of the Bible. I'm thankful that it's true in my life as well. Israel has a Messiah. We have a king and a savior because God has kept his covenant promises to David and to his sons after him. Thank you for joining us again uh, at Living Word Press.